Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. <laughs> All right. If you could make your way to your seats, that would be great. And if you could stop talking to each other, that would be even better. Wow, it's raining today, isn't it? It's been raining. Look at the rain. Someone's happy about the rain. <laughs> I love it. Um, anyway, if you're new, my name's Obed, and I'm one of the leaders here. And as always, we are grateful for your decision um, to spend this part of your Sunday with us. Um, as always, we are confident that this time... Um, it's not going to be a waste of time, but you will encounter our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, because that's what we're all about. Before we get into our um, study for this morning, I've got two announcements. First announcement has to do with the tables in the foyer, in the lobby. Um, as we get settled into this building and this new phase in the life of our church, we are seeing a more and more needs pop up. Um, our church continues to grow, and as a result, we wanted to take some time to inform you of our needs as a church. Um, as humans, I know our default mode um, is to serve ourselves, but Jesus calls us to something radically different, and he calls us to serve him and others. And so in view of this, we kind of are um, doing a big recruitment push this morning for more volunteers. Um, serving on Sundays is one of those simple, tangible ways to love one another and follow Jesus. And so if you consider King's Cross to be your home church and you're not currently serving we invite you to sign up to serve today, and we've made it super easy for you. We have tables in the lobby with our lovely team leads, and they are ready and willing to accept your form to be filled out, whatever they are using. Um, and so make sure that you do that. Um, that will be awesome. The second announcement I have has to do with our membership class. Finally, we are having a membership class. It's been a while, um, and the reason why is obviously a lot's been happening with the merge and the transition, but um, on Sunday, February 4th, after our Sunday service, down in a basement, we're going to have the first step uh, of our membership process as a church. And so if you've been coming to King's Cross and you're like, yeah, I like this church, but I want to know more and get an idea of what this church is about and what we believe and what the expectations are, um, we encourage you to attend our membership class. And throughout this class, we're going to be looking at what King's Cross is all about, our beliefs and everything else. And so make sure you come to that. And like I said, this is the first step in the membership process. The second step will be meeting with team leaders so that we can get to know you and answer any questions you have. Um, and then we're going to have a Sunday where we welcome you as a member 
of this church. I'm excited about that. And I hope you are. You're just looking at me. Oh, obviously, you're supposed to. No, it's fine. You didn't need to do that. You didn't need to do that. You're fine. All right, so that's all I've got. Um, let's get into our study for this morning. We're in the book of Galatians. And the letter Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. And this week, we're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 1 through to 15. It shouldn't be 21. It should be 15. My mistake. Um, And so Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through to 15. And as always, as is our custom, may you please stand for the reading of God's word. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through to 15 reads, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await, um, wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another." Let's pray. And so, God, we embark on this journey to understand this passage together as a church family. And as we navigate and try to understand, God, I pray that you would magnify your son, Jesus Christ, in our minds and in our hearts, and we may grow to love him above everything and everyone else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. Everyone seeks freedom, especially in our Western society. Freedom is one of the highest virtues And it is sought after by all and consider all who consider themselves to be oppressed. In an age where information is power, 
Many seek freedom through unrestricted access to the internet and social media. People pursue financial independence and stability as a form of freedom. Social and cultural freedom is popular these days. In a fast-paced world, many seek freedom from stress, mental health issues, and societal pressures. At times, my kids want to grow up fast so that they can be free from our parenting. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Everybody wants some sort of freedom. But there is a kind of freedom that stands head and shoulders above all other freedoms. In fact, some of the most harshly oppressed people in history have experienced this kind of freedom. Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial sacrifice, and his victorious resurrection has provided for the Christian many things, like forgiveness of sins, a relationship with the God of creation, eternal life and hope beyond death, the Holy Spirit to empower them for godly living, and lastly, Jesus' life and sacrifice and resurrection has provided followers of Jesus a church community, a family. Among the many blessings we receive in Christ, there is another that resonates deeply within the heart of the Christian faith, and that is freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ is one of the many blessings Christians receive as a result of Jesus' finished work. And so, what does it mean to be free in Christ? That's what we'll be talking about this morning. And so, if you're making notes... To be free in Christ is to be, first of all, free from the consequences of legalism. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5 again. Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. As you know, this content we're studying this morning is part of a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a first century church located in an ancient region in Asia Minor called Galatia. 
And so after reminding the Galatians of the freedom that they have in Christ, he pleads with them to do two things. First, he wants them to what? Stand firm so that they don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. The phrase stand firm is steko in Greek. Steko basically means to stand implying a physical posture. However, in this verse, steko is used as a metaphor for steadfastness, perseverance, when it comes to one's belief or convictions. And so what exactly is Paul pleading with the Galatians to stand firm to stecho against? Look at verse 1 again. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In ancient times, a yoke was a wooden beam that was placed on animals to help them pull plows or carts. It was a symbol of burden and hard labor. In the Bible, a yoke often symbolizes subjugation, bondage, or a heavy burden. And so when Paul speaks of a yoke of slavery, he's referring to something that is a burden and restrictive. And in this context, Paul uses the term yoke of slavery to refer to Jewish laws and customs. As you know, Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to an early Christian community in Galatia. At the time of this writing, um, these new believers were trying to figure out their identity and practices. They were in transition from being a part of kind of the Jewish religion to embracing the new teachings of Christianity brought by Jesus. During this transition, a gang called Judaizers were going around and they were teaching that non-Jewish converts to Christianity needed to adhere to Jewish laws like circumcision and dietary rules in order to be truly saved. Essentially, they were teaching that adherence to the law was needed for salvation. It's not just about following laws, but about placing on due importance on specific practices like circumcision on dietary restrictions, believing they are what brings about salvation. That's what they were thinking. They were like, it's awesome to believe in Jesus, but you need to add 
these works and these rituals to Jesus. So it was Jesus plus these things in order for you to be truly saved. This mindset is known as legalism. And legalism is basically an overemphasis on external rules and rituals as a means to earn God's favor or righteousness. And so the main reason Paul wrote this letter was to expose and debunk legalism. And so when Paul exhorts the Galatians to stand firm and to not submit again to a yoke of slavery, he's saying that a return to a lifestyle of legalism is like carrying a heavy, unnecessary burden. And so the question we have to ask now is, what will happen if the Galatians do not heed his exhortation? What will happen if the Galatians do not stand firm and instead choose to return to legalistic practices for salvation? Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 2 to 4. Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. With these three verses, Paul declares that if the Galatians continue to embrace legalistic practices for salvation first, what does it say? Christ will be of no advantage to them. This means that relying on legalistic practices negates the benefits of Jesus' sacrifices. Second, Paul also says that if they accept a legalistic practice like circumcision, they are obligated to keep the whole law. (laughs) This is an impossible standard because no one has the ability to completely, like, um, um, to keep the whole law. And lastly, The most severe consequence Paul mentions is being severed from Christ and having fallen from grace. In other words, legalism can create a barrier between us and Christ, and this will hinder the intimacy and growth that comes from a genuine relationship with him. Paul uses strong language here, and he does so to issue a stern warning to the Galatians about the severe consequences of going back into legalism. It will result in a disconnection from Christ. 
In other words, adopting a lifestyle of legalism is ultimately a denial of the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice and a rejection of the grace-based salvation that is essential to the Christian faith. Put simply, if you rely on what you must do to be fully loved and accepted by God, you have no need for Christ. Christ will be of no advantage to you. And the person without Christ is something who, someone who has fallen from grace. This is a frightening reality that is the consequence of legalism. Tim Keller says this, legalism is far more than the conscience believed that I can be saved by good works. It is a web of attitudes of heart and character. It is a thought that God's love for us is, is conditioned on something we can be or do. It is the attitude that I offer certain things, my ethical goodness, my relative avoidance of de deliberate sin, my faithfulness to the Bible and the church that support Christ's work and contribute to God's goodwill toward me. It's a great definition of legalism. Is in our own strength, with our own efforts, trying to add to what Jesus has done. And so I wonder how legalism is manifesting itself in your life. This is a question not just for the religious or strict Christians, but it's a question for all of us because, believe it or not, Christian, you are susceptible to being legalistic. And so, what actions or thoughts in your own life are propelled by this legalistic mindset? When do you tend to believe that God's favor towards you is based on how much you maybe pray, read your Bible, or confess sin, or just how much you give? Adding anything to salvation devalues the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's like saying that his ultimate act of love and grace isn't sufficient because somehow I have an idea. I have a way to add to what Jesus has done. I am, I, my efforts is kind of the cherry on top or the icing on the cake. Jesus' sacrifices, yeah, it's the cake, but I need to add the icing and the cherry on top. So that God sees it and goes, you are awesome. And so, my brothers and sisters, by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
may we reject any notion that God loves and accepts us because of how righteous we are. Galatians chapter 5, verse 5 to 6 says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so we have seen that to be free in Christ is to, first of all, be free from the consequences of legalism. Next, we're going to see that to be free in Christ is to be free from the influence of false teaching. Look at Galatians 5.7. Paul says, You were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. Here, Paul uses this running metaphor to compare the Christian life of the Galatians to a race. He says to them, you were doing so well. You were running so well, meaning that you were embracing Christ alone as your Savior. And so here he's asking, who has been responsible for holding you back from following Christ? Look at verse 8. He goes on to say, this persuasion... It's not from him who calls you. I'm not a hiker kind of guy. I've got a car. I recently got a car. It was a Bronco Sport, okay? Bronco Sport. And apparently, that kind of car is used by people that love to just pack their car with camping stuff and drive somewhere and go somewhere and climb mountains, and hike, and just exert unnecessary energy going up a mountain. <laughs> For all of you hikers here, imagine you're at the base of a mountain, and your goal is to reach the summit. And suddenly, you have two options to ascend. The first option you have is a comfortable cable car. This cable car, you get in it, it's comfortable, and it just takes you up to the top of the mountain. Think of this cable car as the path of faith in Christ, where salvation is a graceful journey without personal striving. The second option you have in getting up this mountain, that mountain, is a challenging hiking trail. Oh, some of you love this. It's not just a regular trail. Oh, some of you love this. But one filled with this crazy slippery slope, and it just demands incredible physical exertion. Think of this path, and I'm going to ruin hiking for you guys, I'm sorry. Think of this path as representative of the path of legalism, <laughs> where reaching the top depends on your effort and self-reliance. In this scenario... The persuasion mentioned in Galatians 5.8 
is like a guide who stands at the trailhead trying to persuade hikers to reject the cable car and instead prove their worthiness by taking the crazy hike trail. And so by saying, this persuasion is not from him who calls you, Paul is saying that the teaching of salvation by works likely promoted by Judaizers, does not align with the true gospel. It is a false gospel because the true gospel is the teaching of salvation by grace alone, through Christ alone, not by works. Paul carries on. Look at verse 9. He says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Again, this is a metaphor and it's packed with meaning. In ancient times, a small piece of leaven, that is yeast, was used to start the fermentation process in a new batch of dough. This small piece of yeast would be enough to affect the entire batch of dough. And so in the Bible, yeast is often used as a metaphor for influence. And most of the time, it's a negative, corrupting kind of influence. For example, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, Jesus warns his disciples in this way. He says, um, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In this scenario, the leaven, yeast, symbolizes the teachings and doctrines of the um, Pharisees and Sadducees who were the religious leaders of the time. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul uses this common biblical metaphor of the influence of yeast to warn against the corrupting false teaching of salvation by works. Just as a small amount of yeast can gradually change the whole dough, even a small acceptance of legalistic teachings can slowly corrupt the freedom and grace that is found in Christ. In other words, my friends, a small deviation from the core truths of the gospel can have a large and damaging impact on a church community. King's Cross Church we need to be weary of teachings or behaviors that might seem insignificant but can have a large and damaging impact on us as a church family on mission with Jesus. What happens when you mix a bit of poison into something perfectly good? That poison spreads throughout, and it will ruin everything. Before you know it, the whole thing is spoiled. 
And this can happen in our faith journey too. The Bible is like our spiritual food. It's pure and nourishing. But when we let a small bit of false teaching like rigid legalism or loose liberalism or any new versions of the truth, if we allow these things to sneak in, we are opening the door to corruption and trouble. And so the question I want us to start thinking about is what content have you been consuming? What content have you been consuming? And listen, I'm not saying you should only read the Bible and you should only listen to the Bible and only watch the Bible, but I think we have to be way more sensitive when it comes to what we listen to and watch because whatever we consume is having an impact on us, is absolutely shaping us whether we believe it or not. And so what do you spend most of your time consuming? King's Cross Church, let's fiercely protect the truth. Let's be mindful with what we consume. Let's hold fast to the faith that's been passed down to us. And as we do, let's be quick to say, no thanks to anything that tries to distort the truth. And so far, we have seen that to be free in Christ is number one, is to be free from the consequences of legalism. All right? Second, to be free in Christ is to be free from the influence of false teaching. Lastly, if you're making notes, to be free in Christ is to be free from misusing freedom or abusing freedom. Things are about to get really interesting if it hasn't, okay? In verse 10, Paul confidently, this is what he does, he addresses the Galatians, he assures them that the Lord will guard them against false teachings and, um, and bring judgment on false teachers. In verse 11, he clears up a misunderstanding about himself. He explains that he doesn't teach the false gospel of works-based salvation, and he does this to make it clear that he's not a false teacher. And then in verse 12, Paul uses really strong language against those advocating for circumcision. He says to them, look at verse 12 of chapter 5. He goes, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. My goodness, I love the Bible. <laughs> so raw. <laughs> Here, 
Paul wishes that the false teachers who are preaching a false gospel would go to extremes in their self-mutilation. This statement, although strong, underscores his intense opposition to their teachings, which he sees as distorting the gospel. And so, so far, Paul has been presented to us uh, this comprehensive picture of what it means for Christians to be free in Christ. So far, we have seen and come to learn that to be free in Christ means to be liberated from the consequences of legalism, the power and condemnation of sin, and the influence of false teaching. But The thing we must not overlook or forget about our freedom in Christ is that it isn't just about what we have been freed from, but it's also about what we have been freed towards. And so, what does it look like To live as people who are free in Christ. Look at verse 13 of chapter 5. Paul says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. (laughs) In this verse, we are given specific guidelines, guidance on how to live out our freedom in Christ. First, the freedom we have in Christ Jesus isn't meant to be used as an opportunity for the flesh. In the Bible, the word flesh doesn't always refer to the skin or surface of the human body, no. In fact, the word flesh in the Bible often refers to the sinful nature of human beings. Flesh is often a metaphor for our inclination towards selfishness, immorality, and other behaviors that go against God's will for us. And so when we're reminded not to use the freedom we have in Jesus as an opportunity for the flesh, we're being exhorted not to use it as a license or as an opportunity to engage in sinful or self-indulgent behavior. Put simply, Christian freedom is not a license to sin. That is to live however you want. Tim Keller says this, To fall back into rule-keeping means we lose our freedom, but to fall into permissiveness means we abuse our freedom. Our freedom in Christ, also known as Christian liberty, is a remarkable aspect of the Christian life. It's about knowing that because We're united with Christ, our sins are forgiven, and we're no longer bound by the strict rules of earning God's love. 
But here is something important we need to think about. We are prone to misusing the freedom we have in Christ. Abusing our freedom in Christ can look like a few different things. It's whenever we say to ourselves, Hey, I can do whatever I want because Jesus will forgive me anyway. It's whenever we blatantly ignore what the Bible says because we think it doesn't apply to us anymore. Oh, it was written thousands of years ago. The Bible is archaic. It's old school. We are modern people. Doesn't apply to us anymore. Abusing our freedom in Christ can also look like whenever we make choices that we know aren't what God wants for us, but we do them anyway thinking it's fine because we are forgiven. Jesus was all about loving and helping others. If we use our freedom to only think about ourselves and what we want, ignoring those in need, we're not following his example. Yes, we're not bound by rigid rules, but that doesn't mean anything goes. We still have a compass. God's word the Holy Spirit's guidance, and the local church. And so, my friends, I wonder how you've been misusing your freedom in Christ. Have you ever caught yourself thinking that it's okay to do something wrong just because you know you're forgiven? How are you using your freedom in Christ as an excuse to not change something in your life that you know should be different? Trust me, this week, as I've been reflecting on it, I've been challenged, man. I really have. How have you been abusing your freedom in Christ? Scott McKnight says this, in general, we might say that being free is the liberation of a person's spirit from everything that shackles it to sin and ugliness. Being free is the liberation of a person's spirit to do what God wants, to be what God wants, and to enjoy the life God gives us on this earth. And so being free in Christ isn't just being free from the penalty and the power of sin and condemnation and being free from the fear of death. 
it's also a call to live the life God has called us to live. And if we look at our freedom in Christ, the fact that he's done everything as an opportunity to do whatever we want and live however we want, what we are doing is abusing the freedom we have in Christ. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, let's remember that our freedom in Christ is a pathway to living a life that reflects God's love and goodness, not an excuse to live however we please without regard for his guidance. And that is why I would say being part of a local church, that means not just showing up on a Sunday and leaving, but being part of a community group is so important for you. It's important for me because I have blind spots. I don't always know how I'm supposed to be living. And I am incredibly thankful for the brothers and sisters God has placed in my life because they help me see how I'm meant to live. And so I exhort you and I encourage you, if you are not plugged into a local church, yes, consider King's Cross, but do whatever you can to get plugged into a local community and surround yourself with people that love Jesus, that are living for Jesus, that are willing to look you in the face and tell you how you're supposed to live when you're not living it. Verse 13 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And here's the last part. But through love, serve one another. Our freedom in Christ is supposed to inspire us to serve others and build each other up in love. Our freedom in Christ is not just a release from the law's constraints. It's a call to a higher, more fulfilling law, the law of love. And this love is not just a feeling, but an active choice to seek the best of others for others. Verse 15, Paul says this, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is a stark reminder that misusing our freedom can lead to harmful consequences, not just for ourselves, but for our entire church community. Did you hear that? Misusing our freedom in Christ doesn't just impact us, but it can have an impact on our church community. That's why he says, do, you know, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed one another by one another. And, and there's so much to say here. But the point of this is how you live doesn't just impact you, but it can have direct impact on so many people. And so as we conclude, I have two questions for you. How can you use your freedom in Christ to grow closer to him and reflect his love in your life? 
How can you use your freedom in Christ to grow closer to God and reflect his love in your life? And what are some ways you can use this freedom to help and encourage others around you? Dr. Scott Redd, what an awesome name. He says this, The Christ who came and took his place on the cross now indwells us and calls and he calls us to a life like his. Let's pray. And so, God, I pray that we would continually look at and savor your son, Jesus Christ. And as we do, God, I pray that we would grow in our love for Christ. And as a result, his life would be reflected in our life. We love you so much. We ask that these truths that we, are, we have explored this morning together, that you would use them um, to shape us and lead us in the way you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.